brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Hey, if you uh, watch the show um, at kprcradio.com or if you watch it on my Facebook page, The Jimmy Baird Show, um, or you just go back and you pull it out of the archives and watch it later, make note, would you, of, of my backdrop today. Make note of that. That's a gift from my uh, uh, morning wife. <laughs> she probably wouldn't like me calling her that. Uh, Shara Fryer. Um, she picked that up for me. It's a T-shirt, but I, I've got it strategically set up so you can read the logo. Um, I am a proud Texas Neanderthal, and I have been ever since Biden made those comments about Neanderthal thinking. And she saw this shirt, and she thought, well, I think Jimmy will like this. Jimmy does. And it's on display today if you want to check it out for yourself. And, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you drop me a line, I can let you know where it came from. If you want to go find one for yourself. Hey, welcome to the show. Good to be here today. A lot of things to get off our chest. I guess, well, let's start with this. Should we call this Doggate? Why not Doggate? Now we're getting a revised version of what happened to Champ and Major Biden. These are the two German shepherds. Have you heard this story yet? Evidently, fake news that Champ and Major got kicked out of the White House and sent to Delaware because Major bit somebody. It's either was fake news, or they've had an opportunity to kind of redo it and, and revise the thinking on it and to change the narrative on it, because Democrats are very good at that. And, and now they're trying to rehabilitate the image of Major Biden. So this, this is what is being claimed now, and of course... The uh, the press is happy to pick up on this. You know, heaven forbid we should report on major stories. No, let's 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 di- dis- distract everybody with the dog. Everybody likes the puppet dog. Uh, according to this story, it says earlier this month, first dogs. If, if, has there ever been a bigger deal made out of dogs than the Biden dogs? I know that um, the Trumps weren't exactly dog people. I guess they made a big deal about Obama's dogs, right? What did he have, like Portuguese water dogs, something like that? Anyway, earlier this month, the first dogs, Champ and Major Biden, made headlines when they were sent back to Delaware following reports that the younger of the two, Major, had an alleged, they put in alleged, alleged biting incident. However, President Joe Biden recently explained, 
Like he didn't do it at a press conference, right? Because he's yet to have one. He's been president since January. Still no presidential press conference. So I'm not sure if this is like a press release or whatever. But evidently, (laughs) he claims there was never a biting. He did an interview on March 17th with ABC News. Instead of asking about a whole litany of hard questions or any questions that actually came off the cuff, George Stephanopoulos, major journalist that he is, asked the president if Major was out of the doghouse. Referring to the reports that Major had bitten somebody at the White House, supposedly Secret Service, and then it was sent home to exile to Delaware. Biden laughed at the phrasing of the question and said, quote-unquote, Major did not bite someone and penetrate the skin. Hang on. He did not bite someone and penetrate the skin. Um, being a dog owner and having a dog that's half corgi, which are prone to nipping. I believe that's the term, nipping. Now, nipping is like when a dog is not really trying to be vicious. He's just trying to warn you. You're too close. You're not doing what I want you to do. And Swiper will do that. Swiper will herd you through my home if you come into my home. He, especially if he doesn't know you, he's, he's kind of suspicious. He's a bit of a doggy conspiracy theorist. He thinks everybody's up to no good. And he just wants you to know you're not going anywhere that it's not okay with me. So if you are in my living room and sitting down and we're chatting and you get up to go to the bathroom or whatever, he is likely to follow you going to the bathroom. And if he's decided that he's not yet giving you a free pass to go to the bathroom, he might get behind your knee and kind of give you a little nudge with his nose or a little, maybe just a little nip to, to get your attention. Corgis are, are herding dogs by breed. So that's what they, that's what they did. And that's what they instinctively do with cattle. That's how they control where cattle go. Little tiny dogs that they are. That's how they control where everybody's going. Now, being tiny is not major Biden's problem. His problem is he's a big old German shepherd. Biden did not bite someone and penetrate the skin. Doesn't mean he didn't nip somebody. You could nip somebody without penetrating the skin. Is a bite a nip? You know, am I getting too specific here? Maybe. Biden also went on to say, you turn a corner and there are two people you don't know at all, and they move, and he moves to protect. Okay. But he's a sweet dog. Well, he's a sweet dog with you. My dog is as sweet as can be with me. Doesn't mean he's not a menace to society. Now, here's the other part of it. So, so, so he's trying to claim the dog didn't bite anybody. He might have nipped. No, he wouldn't even say nip. He didn't bite and penetrate. Evidently, in uh, Biden's world, it's not a bite unless skin is penetrated and blood is shed. Uh, the Bidens also claimed they did not send the dog home, that they, they were going back to Delaware anyway because of a trip um, that was being planned. Um, so they sent the dogs back to Delaware to be cared for by family members. 
because evidently there was nobody at the White House who could dog sit, or at least they could dog sit without being chewed up by the dogs. So the dogs were not sent home to banish anybody. They were sent home probably to protect the sa- the safety of everybody else at the White House. So there you go. There, there's the supposed truth about they're back at the White House now, evidently. Evidently, uh, uh, Major has had some sort of psychological breakthrough, and he's promised not to, uh, not to uh, you know, penetrate anybody's skin going forward. Uh, back with more in a moment. We're going to talk to. Uh, we could talk about Biden again. This time about gun control. Don't make. Don't waste a great opportunity like what happened in Colorado. You got to try again to ram through more gun control that won't make any difference at all. Edwin Walker will join us next year at Name Nine Fifty KPRC. All right, the, the shirt behind me that Sheriff Fryer got for me that's, that's hanging behind me in my little home studio today says, come and take it. And then it has a Neanderthal wearing a cowboy hat. And what assume I, it looks like a cannon. Come and take it. Proud Neanderthal. You know, ever since the, uh, the president made his comment about Neanderthal thinking, a lot of people are kind of wearing that as sort of a badge of pride. Um, I'm thinking our next guest probably wouldn't mind it either. And is to prove positive just how smart Neanderthals can be. This guy's got a law degree. I don't care if you're a Neanderthal or not. If you got a law degree, you got some smarts going on. Edwin Walker, gun rights attorney at Walker and Taylor Law, joins us here on AM 950 KPRC. Um, Edwin, we've been through this so many times, we could probably go back and replay any interview that you and I have done together over the course of the last four years, and we'd be covering the same ground, wouldn't we? Because it, this every time there's a mass shooting, we go through this same routine over and over and over again. Yes, you're certainly correct. Now, obviously, what is different here is that the anti-gun folks, uh, number one, you have a man in the White House who is anti-gun to the extreme and never hit it. I mean, that's one thing. You can say a lot of things about Biden, but one thing that he did do is he was out front and he was explicit about how much he wanted to ban guns. So, unfortunately, people still voted for him and he got elected. So we have a well-known and aggressive anti-gun guy in the White House, and the anti-gun folks control both houses of Congress. And so okay. that has changed. Um, so that is something we'll have to sit and keep our fingers crossed about. Let's let's take it to the next level, though, Edwin. Let's 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 pontificate a little bit on this. Um, and it's going to require just just an opinion. I can certainly give you mine, and I'd love to hear yours, because we, you and I, have talked in the past about you know gun show loopholes and 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 um, you know. Um, multi-clip magazines and and silencers and uh, so-called assault weapons, or in the case of an AR-15, semi-automatic weapons. Um, and it, it removing, if removing any of these things would make a difference, I think we're on the same page. We all pretty much universally agree no, right? None of these things would really make a difference. What we're dealing with is, 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 is a whole different set of societal problems. So if you still want to do all these things at this point, it's hard for me to believe that the left really thinks that it'll make a difference if we make these gun changes, that it's really about, it's really a control issue with them. Would you agree? 
Oh, absolutely. And this and, and the fact that this tragedy, in which absolutely nobody wants to minimize what a horrible tragedy this was, this tragedy in Colorado is actually a, um, you know, seeing how the gun debate develops from here, this is actually a watershed moment because uh, Colorado over the last 20 years has turned uh, very, very dramatically, and very markedly Democrat. It has become very anti-gun after being, you know, being for over a century very pro-gun. It is the poster child for all of the gun legislation that that the anti-gun voters want to pass. It has red flag laws. It has universal background checks. It has magazine bans. Um, even you know, the, the even the, the major cities like like Denver and Boulder, have assault weapons bans, although those have been recently called into question uh, because the, of the Colorado preemption statute. Uh, it is It really is the, you know, they used to say that the states were the, the uh, laboratories of democracy, in which this really is the laboratory of gun control. And obviously we had another tragic shooting uh, that the gun laws failed to prevent, and and this could be laid really kind of at the fault of, you know, you can have all the guns you want, but unless there, if there is a factual or human failing in the execution of these gun laws, then you you have this, you have the results because, uh, you know, technically what should have stopped this was the red flag law. Uh, I read somewhere where this uh, this this guy had a relative who was alarmed that he had a gun, that he looked like he was playing with it, and then he had you know, and then he was kind of a disturbed individual anyway. That is the situation that this red flag law is purportedly exists to stop. So what should have happened was the family should have called, the police would have come out, they would have confiscated all his guns, perhaps they would have taken him for a mental competency hearing, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing about it is you can have every single law in the book that you want. If there's a breakdown or a failure, you're going to have a tragedy. And unfortunately, this plays right into the anti-gun folks' hands, which ultimately, um, and which they've been, they've been loath to admit this in the past. However, there are becoming more and more of them that will. Ultimately, their goal is the prohibition and ultimate confiscation of firearms. And like most things they do, it, it would be incrementally. In other words, we have to, they, they have to get us off the dime on changing gun laws so that they can show that there are no gun laws that will work so they can show that they have to confiscate weapons. Yes, and so that and so this this Colorado, it's, uh, like I said, that's what's going to be interesting to see which way the arguments go because if you argue, look, this is, you know, these laws, these laws don't work. Um, they, they don't prevent every mass shooting. You can argue that they prevent some. I mean, that's proving a negative or asking to prove a negative, which is impossible. Um, so uh, if you say they don't work, therefore people should be encouraged to have guns to protect themselves, uh, it will be interesting to see if that argument prevails over, well, see, we've tried gun laws. They don't work. Next step prohibition and confiscation, in which there's obviously folks like Beto who are already there. They're they're already advocating that, prohibition and confiscation. So first it's the quote-unquote assault rifles and assault weapons. They will define that as broadly as they can, basically to prohibit any semi-automatic rifle, 
that's fed with a magazine and most semi-automatic handguns that are fed with magazines. Uh, then the next, after that happens, then the next mass shooting that happens after that, they'll say, well, see, that didn't work either. So now we're going to have to take away all of the non-assault weapons. Uh, and soon you get down to where, you know, like I said, their ultimate goal is a complete prohibition and ban. Well, they will never, even if they, even if they got to the point of a, a complete prohibition and ban, uh, the great prohibition of the 1930s, I think, taught us that you can, you can ban alcohol, but you can't make it disappear. You can ban guns, but you can't make them disappear. So at that point, what do you do? Do you shut down the manufacturer, government order of the shutdown of manufacturing of all the ammunition? You know, and that's, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that believe that, that the shortage and the high price of ammunition is a symptom of that. Uh, but also what you have to ask yourself is that, is that, is that yes, anybody who is killed in an act of violence, it is a tragedy. And certainly whenever there are multiple people killed in a single instance in an act of violence, that is certainly a horrific tragedy. But if we were to weigh out, you know, which is, you know, which has more of a horrific effect on America, uh, because... You know, deaths committed by firearms are still uh, very, very small in comparison to uh, obviously not just the population at all as a whole, but acts of violence uh, taken uh, taken together. Deaths by death, death by assault rifle is a very, very, very small number, and so just compare that to the the unrest that would be unleashed if every police agency was given the order to go house to house and start confiscating firearms. Mm. Hey, Evan, I'm up against a heartbreak. Can you hang on and join me for just a couple of minutes on the other side here? Because I, I want to get your theory on uh, what you think, because you mentioned the term watershed moment, and that kind of got my attention that this case is a watershed moment. And I'm wondering what makes you think this case is different than the mass shootings we've seen in the past. It, it, it sounds like maybe this is the the straw that breaks the camel's back one way or another. Can you hang on? Uh, how long How long is the break? I'll, get, I'll, I'll keep you for another five minutes, I promise. Nothing, nothing further. Uh, okay. You got yes, an appointment? Sir. Okay, I appreciate uh, it. Well, yeah, yeah, I just, just so want to get that one question in before we let you go. Edwin Walker is with us. Okay, um, he is a gun rights attorney, Walker and Taylor Law. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show, AM 950 KPRC. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues, continues on KPRC 950. Gun rights attorney Edwin Walker is with us here on AM 950 KPRC. I know he's got to run, so let me let me go ahead and get the question out to you, Edwin, so we can get you on your, on your way here. And that is, um, you, you kind of talked about a watershed moment as it relates to this case. What did you mean by watershed moment? Well, that we have a, we have a situation. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. 
Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. ...where uh, pretty much every, every law that up to this point that has been advocated for is in place in Colorado and failed to stop this shooting. So if the, if the argument is their own safety, people should be allowed to have guns, we should look at, uh, look, look at the fact that, that these laws are doing nothing uh, but taking guns away from law-abiding citizens and doing nothing to prevent the criminals or the psychos from getting them, or is the prevailing philosophy going to be, well, obviously it's the gun's fault, and so the only way to fix it is to take away all the guns. I just find it so interesting that we are so willing to put the blame on guns or so so the, the the only thing we're not willing to do is to stigmatize people with mental health. We're, we're more than happy to stigmatize gun owners, but we're not willing to stigmatize people with mental health issues and to, and and to take necessary steps uh, to, to 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 take care of that particular problem. Not that that is any you know not that we could take care of everybody with a mental health problem, certainly, but but it, it never becomes the focal point. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, the thing about it is, is that uh, is that I think that that for for the left, for the anti-gun folks, it clearly is about the inanimate object, and for people who are reasonable, it's clearly about the you know trying to find the individuals in society who, you know, that it just simply, it just simply is not right, if you will, to criminalize millions and millions and millions of innocent people based upon the very, very bad behavior of a very few number of individuals. And so, um, you know, and so, so one side says, nope, it's about the object, we're just going to take them all. The other side says, look, you can't impinge on the rights of the innocent because of the bad acts of the very, very few. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. Edwin, thanks for joining me today. I know you got to run. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. You bet. Edwin Walker um, here on AM 950 KPRC. Um, let's, let's, let's bring this into the, uh, in the quotient here because there's a redneck, I call him the redneck philosopher of the United States Senate. And and I don't mean mean that in anything other than admiration. I love Senator John Kennedy, who has an ability to explain things in terms, sometimes very blunt terms, sometimes that's what it takes, in order to get people to kind of understand what it is you're trying to say. Here is Senator Kennedy um, and what he had to say on Fox yesterday, last night in fact, about the call for you know the traditional call we've had a mass shooting uh the traditional call for taking away guns for you all the things that we were just talking about with edwin walker here's his take on the whole thing well brian look these killings were were terrible they were they were horrible uh i'm reminded though that uh you know america is a big country we're free and one of the prices we pay for that freedom is that you're always going to have some people who abuse it. Uh, freedom is risk. What we've got to concentrate on is how to control that risk. You're not going to stop the killings until you stop the killers. 
Um, but you, you don't stop drunk drivers by getting rid of all sober drivers, which is what many of my Democratic friends want to do with respect to the Second Amendment. In my judgment, we do not need more gun control. We need more idiot control. How do we do that? We've already tried. The Republicans have. Senator Grass Grassley, Senator Cruz uh, had a bill to, to strengthen our national database. We regulate gun ownership in America. If, you, uh, if you're convicted of certain crimes, if you have a tendency to violence, if you're, if you're mentally ill and you want to buy a gun, your name has to run through a database. The problem is that the database has huge holes in it. Yeah. The FBI knew about this guy. How many times have we heard, well, the FBI knew about him, but nothing happened? You know, if the FBI isn't willing to come knocking on your door and say, hey, what's going on here? Here's, here's, here's the thing I love about Senator Kennedy, and here's, here's what I, I think the analogy is perfect. I love the analogy. To think that you can ban all gun killing by banning all guns is the same as thinking that you can, you can, it's right to ban all drunk driving by getting rid of all the drivers. It's against the law to drink and drive. Yet every day, people get arrested for drinking and driving. Every now and again, they kill people. Right, right down the street from me is where the that convicted felon, multiple DUIs, drunk as can be, hit another car at an intersection, Gosling Road and right around Gosling and Kirkendall, 2920, right in there, killed a young mother and child, injured other people. In typical fashion, he's okay. But he shouldn't have been out to begin with. And he certainly should not have been driving. But how are you going to keep somebody like that from driving? The only way to keep somebody like that from driving is to have their happy asses in jail. Which we're no longer evidently interested in doing in Harris County. And then on top of that, on top of that, you, it, this whole gun argument is like saying, okay, well, we can't trust people not to drink and drive. We're going to ban cars. That's the only way to fix the problem. The only way to do away with drunk driving is to ban all cars. So all of you who drive sober, all of you who are responsible drivers, would no longer be allowed to drive. Everybody goes on mass transit because the few people drink and drive, and kill folks. It is the exact same argument at work on guns. The vast majority, and by vast majority I'm talking upper 90 percentile of gun owners are responsible individuals. But the government is going to try to say, you can't own a gun, you can't fire a gun, you can't have a gun because... There are some people, some crazy people, some immoral people 
that are going to take that gun and they're going to kill somebody. Maybe a bunch of people. Therefore, all guns are bad. Absolute arguments don't work. But I think I think Edwin is right. I don't know if the, I don't know if this is the watershed moment. He has seen more than a few. He knows better than me. I don't know if this is the watershed moment where we reach that point. Where where I don't think it is. I'll tell you why I don't think it is. I think Edwin thinks it is because and he's right about Colorado. That Colorado's passed all these aggressive gun laws. They've already gone. They've already gone gone through all the things that. The president is talking about doing by executive action. They've already, they've already, they've already banned weapons. They've already, they've already, um, you know, gotten as tough on them as, as they think they can within the normal realm of what we've been talking about as far as gun control and loopholes and all that kind of stuff. They've already tightened all that stuff up in Colorado, and yet they've had another shooting in Colorado. Interestingly enough, therefore, if those laws don't work in Colorado. What Edwin is saying is, well, then they're going to come to the realization that those laws don't work anywhere, and the next step is to start confiscating weapons. Um, I think we eventually get there, but I, I think as long as this argument can be made, see, the argument has been made, and it's, it, it's been effective, state by state, in getting many different states to institute, and many different liberal cities to institute, more aggressive gun laws, once you've got the entire country instituting these gun laws and they don't work, then you go to that next step. We're not there yet. But we're on our way. Certainly on our way. And I hope that doesn't sound too paranoid, because I don't mean to sound paranoid. I I just I just <laughs> I, I just I see what's happening, and I think we all kind of have to look at it that way and say to ourselves, what, what's the worst? We see what's going on. What is the worst-case scenario? What could ultimately happen? What do I do to protect myself? And the answer, well, I'll leave it up to you to figure out that answer for you. Uh, back with more on The Moment Jimmy Baird Show. This is AM 950 KPRC. All right, 348 time here on AM 950 KBRC. We haven't talked COVID in a while, right? No, we really haven't talked COVID in a while. Let, let's talk COVID, shall we? Just just for a little bit. Um, it, it, <laughs> I think you know, COVID rules are becoming as absurd as the, these gun law attempts uh, at this point in time. Um, you know, it's funny because we had, we had a, a, a segment. Was this on the morning show? I think it was on the morning show. Where Snap... You know, um, which is, you know, nutritional supplement program. Food stamps. Don't call them food stamps. You're stigmatizing people. Does it, does it make you feel better to say SNAP? Okay, we'll go with SNAP. Because after all, the government loves its acronyms. SNAP. The SNAP program. And how the, from time to time there are always calls to regulate what people can buy with SNAP, what, what, what kind of foods and beverages. You know, um, should you be able to, if you're a SNAP recipient, should you be able to buy potato chips and pork rinds and full-on high-fructose corn syrup Coca-Cola? Should you be able to do that? And, of course, what happens is 
is even conservatives have a tendency to go, well, wait a minute. You can't take away people's freedom to choose. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And, and, and you know what? I, I'm not so sure it wouldn't be a bad idea to take away people's freedom to choose when they're on government assistance. And if for no other reason, then I, I think to illustrate to people the problem of socialism, the problem of government controlling your life, and the problem of government making all those decisions for you is maybe started with a program like that. Because people who are on government assistance programs have a tendency to think they're great. And in some I mean, I get unemployment is a lifeline for people. I understand welfare programs can be a lifeline for people, although I think welfare, like Social Security, was never meant to be a lifelong solution to your economic woes. It is, it, it's there as a help you out and help you up, or was supposed to be, uh, help you up and out kind of program. But I think SNAP might be a good place to start with this. And this is not to stigmatize or to stereotype people on SNAP programs as the people who are eating the pork rinds and the potato chips, although a fair amount do. Um, I don't think... I think, <laughs> I think the N in SNAP stands for nutrition, which is about as big a misnomer as the R in ERCOT standing for reliability. It's not about nutrition. It's about feeding your face. It's about providing food, however you, however you wish to define it. It's not about nutrition. If you want to make it about nutrition, only make it... only. Only say, you can only purchase lean meats. Better yet, better yet, you really want to get people pissed off? You really want to get people off of SNAP? You want to, really want to give them a motivation to not be government dependent? Tell them it's vegan. Yep, tell them, tell them you, can't, you, can't, you can't buy ground beef to make a hamburger. You can, we'll get, we'll get all the tofu you want. You can have all the tofu you want. You can have all the water you want. No soda, no potato chips, no pork rinds, no um, high cholesterol, high calorie, high carb items. Banned. Not because I believe in taking people's freedom away to choose for themselves what they eat, but as a great potential lesson to people of what happens when you allow government to make your decisions for you. How does it feel to have the government tell you what you can eat and when you can eat it? It's kind of like prison, isn't it? Now, maybe some people are comfortable with that, but I'd like to think there are plenty of people out there who would go, Hey, wait a minute! Why can't I eat what I want to? Because we say you can't. And because you're taking snap from us and therefore if you want to eat that other stuff you're gonna to have to spend your own money on that and maybe maybe that would leave an indelible impression maybe not I'd like to think it would maybe it wouldn't oh and here's you want to add this let's add this in addition to making sure that you're not eating that stuff I mean this give you another reason why we should limit what you can eat on government assistance because 
you could end up with a COVID because we know obesity is one of the big causes or one of the big problems, one of the big uh, one of one of the big contributing factors to a very negative reaction to COVID is obesity. Greg Gutfeld took that one on. So according to new research, you didn't just get older during the pandemic, you got fatter. New research reveals Americans gained roughly 20 pounds since the pandemic began, which begs the question, compared to what? Seriously, I feel like I gained 20 pounds a year, then I spend the next year losing it. But aside from having no control group, it makes some sense. Shut everyone down, exercise space becomes limited, your companion becomes a flat screen. If you don't have an exercise and diet system in place, you're going to get fat. It's not good. COVID triggered the shutdown that made sure it's one common risk factor only grew. Obesity. COVID is a pro at self-preservation. But it's too bad we couldn't talk about obesity early on. I'd say it's the elephant in the room of risk, but then a Teen Vogue editor would try to cancel me. But avoidance for the sake of feelings kills. Excess fat makes it hard to take deep breaths, which for COVID, an illness that impairs lung function, puts you already in a deep hole. The World Obesity Federation reports that in countries where more than half the population's overweight, death rates are 10 times higher than other nations. That's amazing. Seems like something the press should have led with early on. I mean, they love to raise awareness about all sorts of stuff, including fat acceptance. But with this, they just couldn't say it, at least out loud, because journalists have feelings, especially when they catch themselves in the mirror. Mm. Great gut film. Okay, here's a couple more things about COVID you might find interesting. In case you didn't hear it, Texas, Indiana, and Georgia announcing yesterday residents 16 and older are now eligible for COVID-19 vaccinations. That starts tomorrow in Georgia, Monday here in Texas, and March 31st for people in Indiana. So we're among the first states to open it up to anybody age 16 and older. West Virginia, Alaska, and Mississippi are the only states where all adults are eligible to receive the shots right now. Texas, Georgia, and Indiana all announcing future expansions. Utah will open eligibility for all adults coming up on Wednesday. Tennessee, all residents 16 and older would be eligible starting April 5th. And the list goes on. So we're making some progress there as far as the vaccinations go. And maybe because of that, what started off as 25% is now 50% for the Astros. 50% capacity to start the season. Single game tickets went on sale today. Haven't heard anything about how ticket sales are going, but I'm guessing just an opportunity to go somewhere like Minute Maid is probably fairly high on a lot of people's list. So what's going to be different at Minute Maid this year other than 50% capacity? Oh, by the way, as far as what tickets you can get your hands on, tickets available in all sections, including some sections that are physically... Hang on a second here. People always call me during the show. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, hang on. Where was I? Oh, yes. Um, tickets go on sale, or went on sale at 9 a.m. today. Tickets can be purchased through the App Show's website. Um, tickets available in all sections, some with physically distant seating pods. I don't know, do I I want to sit in a pod? Seats adjacent to the field will be sold as they have been for a standard season. Seats adjacent to the dugouts and bullpens will be separated from the field by plexiglass. Um, By the way, 
No difference in the roof policy. If they feel the weather's perfect for having the roof open, they'll have the roof open. If not, they'll have them closed. You will be required to wear a mask at all times, except when you're eating or drinking. So you will not be able to be in the ballpark without a mask. And eating and drinking only permitted in your ticketed seat, not in the general concourse. Most everything else is about the same. Back with our number two in a moment after Fox News, AM 950 KPRC. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. We've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. You know what our problem is? <laughs> don't you love Don't you love statements to start like that? You know what your problem is? I think my dad used to say that to me every now and again. Son, do you know what your problem is? Yes, sir, you. That didn't go over real big, I don't think. I've always been a little bit of a rebel. My dad and I used to clash quite a bit when I was younger because I had this this strange idea in my mind that I was smarter than he was. (laughs) And he loved to remind me that I wasn't. And... Sure enough, more often than not, he proved himself to be right. Because I learned by making mistakes, as we all do. That's You know, that's one of the reasons why I, I really um, think we, we're doing our kids a disservice. And, and, and I was, you know what? You know, truth be told, when, when I was, when I was um, you know, raising two young sons, that I probably made some of those mistakes myself. I, I think I was too quick to pick them up and dust them off. I think I was, um, I know their mother was. Um, I, I think, you know, we had a tendency, even, even I had a tendency sometimes to be a little bit of a helicopter parent. I tried real hard not to be. But sometimes you don't see it in yourself. And the helicopter parenting thing has only gotten worse. And... You really don't, the the lessons you really learn in life, I really believe this, the lessons you really truly learn are the lessons you learn by making mistakes. And I know we don't like to see our kids fail, and we don't like to see them disappointed, and we don't like to see them upset. But the reality is that when you you make a big-time mistake and you're forced to, to, to own up to it and to do some penance for it, you'll learn a lesson from it. And without without learning that lesson, you're prone to repeat your mistakes. So I kind of go off on a tangent there. I apologize. Um, well, other, let me see if I can go way out there and, and grab a way to kind of pull this together. You know, I made a joke tail end the last hour that the N the N and SNAP stands for nutrition, like the R and ERCOT stands for reliability. Um, there are stories. Well, the Chronicle, the Cron, wrote a story. Texas lawmakers slow walking desperately needed electric grid reforms. Well, before we get too crazy on the electric grid reform, at this point, wouldn't you like them to slow walk it as long as they get something done? Do you really want a knee-jerk reaction? Do you, do you really want the politicians in Austin 
to dismantle our system here in Texas or to kowtow to the federal government and tie into the feds because you had three really, really bad days with no power and some busted pipes. You know, we have short memories. One of the reasons I believe that we don't get a lot of things done sometimes is because our memories are so short. Oh, yeah, we were all bitching and moaning and complaining when the power was out. We're all crying when we had to get our hands on a plumber because a pipe burst. But here we are, you know, month, six weeks later. Oh, yeah. Remember that big freeze? You would, you probably, a lot of us would not even remember that we had the big freeze if we didn't have a couple of dead palm trees around our property. We probably had forgotten all about it by now. Most of us. And it takes too much effort, you know, to lobby lawmakers and to call your your state representative and say, hey, listen, what's going on with ERCOD? You know, what changes are we talking about making? What are we going to do to keep the heat on? I, I know one thing. I would be very careful about which politicians I would allow to make a lot of suggestions regarding changing the electric grid system here in Texas. For example, Mayor Turner evidently is among those going to Austin to lobby on behalf of building a new system that is sustainable. But what is his idea of sustainable? Here is Mayor Turner. The Texas grid must be designed with a full appreciation that climate change is real and extreme weather events can occur throughout the year. We must build a system that is resilient and sustainable. Okay. And what is that system, Mr. Mayor? Um, because you brought up climate change, I'm going to I'm going to assume that what you would like to see is more in the way of solar and wind power, right? Of course. Yes, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true. Because you don't believe that any part of the problem had anything to do with maybe too much reliance on renewable energy that couldn't be renewed at the time. Now, I'd be the first to say that one of the things I think are, that is going to have to come out of this is war. If, if we're not willing to tolerate, let me, let me put it to you this way. If we're not really willing to tolerate loss of electricity for two or three days and busted pipes, and it's pretty clear to me that we don't have... You know, despite what our great grandparents in Texas would have thought, we don't we, we don't have the same resolve. So you know, we're not much for roughing it, right? So, yeah, we don't want it. We don't want that to happen. Okay, then I think we are going to have to spend some money, and we're going to have to winterize our systems. And that means that you and me and everybody else is going to pay higher electricity rates in order to make that happen. Because the plant operators are not going to do that and say, you know what, we're just going to go and do it because we're nice people. That's not going to happen. I, I'm willing to say, I, I'm a, my hand is raised, I'm willing to pay a little bit more so that you can winterize the natural gas lines so that we don't lose our natural gas supply. Or anything else that froze up. I don't know how much I'm willing to winterize wind turbines. But I sure am willing to winterize 
traditional, reliable natural gas plants so that we have enough power next time something like this happens. I'm going to assume that this was not a once-every-122-year event. Maybe it was. Your great-great-grandchildren will thank you. Lord knows what they're going to be relying on for energy. But let's let's continue to have the conversation. What are we willing to do? What to what are we willing to say? Yes, we need to spend money on. What are we willing to say? No, 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 no. That's a pipe dream. That gets us nowhere. I, I hope those conversations are continuing. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show, AM nine fifty KPRC. Ooh, I'm, uh, I'm a radio's equivalent of a drunk driver today, or a buzz driver here. I'm kind of all over the road. I don't mean to be. I'm having a hard time getting all the stuff in, or remember to get all the stuff in I wanted to get in. I, we did a little segment here on COVID-19. I should have included this then. I apologize for those of you who like the program to be in some sort of logical order, me included. I should have done it about 20 minutes ago, but I didn't, and I don't want to forget to do it now. Because, well... Because I'm here to make you paranoid. Well, not really. I, I, I find that the more I talk about things and what could happen with things, the less this maybe I may make you feel more paranoid, but I make myself feel less paranoid. Let's face it, it's all about me. And I think it makes me feel less paranoid because I get it out there and I get it out of my system. The one thing that um, really grabbed my attention in going to get my first Pfizer shot was when I finally snaked my way all the way through the line and sat down to get the shot. I was just glad to be getting this over and done with because I have no tolerance for waiting to see a doctor or a nurse or anybody else in the medical field. When I sat down, I was finally ready to get my shot. I got my shot, and she writes something on a card, and she handed the card to me. I didn't know I was getting a card. Uh, the card had the CDC logo on it. And it's just a vaccination card. And it had the date and the time that I got the vaccination. And then she wrote on it the date that I and the time I was to come back. And I kind of looked at it like an appointment card. You know, like you get at the doctor or the dentist where they're just writing your next appointment on it so you can you know, remember to go put it in your personal planner or stick it in your wallet or whatever. So you remember your next appointment? Of course, now you you get a text. <laughs> you know, a week ahead of time, a day ahead of time, the same day. Don't forget, today's your appointment. They kind of, you know, thanks to the wonderful world of technology, they kind of bug you ad nauseum. But I've I've got this card, and I'm thinking to myself, huh, this is interesting. I wonder, wonder why they're filling out these cards. And now I'm beginning to see why they're filling out these cards. Um, and and they're also, by the way, mainstream media is really selling us on having these cards. They're calling them badges of honor. Yeah, it's a badge of honor. You got a you got yourself a vaccination card. That's like a get out of jail free card. You want to go on a trip? Just show us your card. You want to go to a sporting event? Hey, just show us your card. That card, vaccination card, is going to be kind of like, um, you know, for, for going places and being around other people, it's eventually, it's 
you know, when enough people get vaccinated, it's going to be like a gold card for you. Oh, come in, Mr. Barrett. You have your card. Come in. Welcome. Don't worry about the mask. Tell that leper with a mask on to go somewhere else. If, I think that, I think, well, first of all, I think that's a real possibility. But I, I noticed something about the card that I don't know if everybody's noticed this or not. If, if you have the card, if you notice there's more, more room on that card for more dates, there's more room than just the two doses that you got. Well, you know, it's not the same dose for everybody. Yes, well, you either get one dose or two, depending upon uh, the, the, the type of vaccination you're getting. So why would you need more than two? Well, because now they're kind of sneaking in a, a word that kind of makes you go, huh? The word is booster. Booster? What do you mean Booster. You know, we've got these variants out there, and, you know, if, if it turns out that one of these variants starts to be successful at, 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 at getting around the vaccine, we may have to give you a booster shot derived for that variant. Or we don't really, because these were developed very quickly, we don't really know how long the immunity is going to last. So, you know, we may have to give you another shot one of these days. You know, it may only last three or four months, and then you have to go get another shot. So here's my question. Because honestly, because it is a virus, and because flu shots are given every year, is this going to be one of those deals going forward where we finally realize that it's more like the flu than not the flu? And we just don't freak out about it anymore? Or have we set a new precedent here where everybody has to go and get the shot? You have to get it every year or every X amount of months. And you have to have your card. And you have to show us your card. Or you can't do anything. What a great way to train people. To do exactly what you want them to do. Again, that's, that's, that's me getting, taking it past logic into the next possible step. Not necessarily the next step, but you know, you got to think about that just a little bit. What if it turns out that you're going to be getting a COVID vaccine shot every X amount of months for, for this, forever? And it's the government's way of being able to control exactly what you're getting. And what, that's what a great way to maybe take care of the anti-vaxxers. Cut you off. Cut you off. Can't do anything. All right, the border. Expecting a phone call. We're gonna well, we're gonna make a phone call to Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman is with the Center for Immigration Studies. He's for lack of a better term, Todd has been embedded at the border for like the last couple of three days, seeing for himself what is going on there. We're gonna get an eyewitness report of what is really going on at the border. We're gonna be talking to him in a few minutes. But first Let's bring on Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who is, he's still incensed, by the way, that Kamala Harris laughed at the idea, well, I'm not going there today, referring to the border, and then had that weird little laugh that she has. He, he took a little, uh, little umbrage to all that. 
because he doesn't think they're taking all this seriously. Here's Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. She's laughing. The DHS secretary is lying. And the president, he's lost. He's just lost on this issue. And think about this when they talk about there isn't a crisis. They just announced they're going to spend $86 million to put people up in hotels along the border. Well, if you do the math, based on the reports, that's 1,200 people. That works out to about $70,000 per person per six months. I guess you get free breakfast, you get late checkout, and you get citizenship with that. What do we spend on any American citizen that works out to $12,000 a month in public benefits? What I don't understand is their lack of compassion for the pain that we're seeing on these coming to America and the pain that they're bringing to America, the overcrowding, literally an invasion on the border. And I say their, their total lack of, of acknowledgement of what's happening. There was a nine-year-old boy who drowned the other day trying mm -hmm. to swim across the river. Is that the kind of policy they want? Mm. And for that kind of money, by the way, you should also get the mini bar. Mini bar should be included for that. Late checkout, hotel room, citizenship, and minibar. I am still incensed at the idea that we treated our National Guard the way we did in Washington, D.C., when they were there for security, feeding them rotten food, making them sleep in parking garages while we're going to put up illegals in hotels and not, not worry about checking them in for court dates. Just let them loose. Many, you know, 10% of them with COVID-19. Yeah, that makes all the sense of the world, right? All right, quick little break. Checking in with Todd Bensman. Center for Immigration Studies embedded at the border next here on AM 950 KPRC. Back to the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. We were going to talk to our next guest a couple of days ago, but he was in Mexico. He, no, he wasn't wasn't in Cancun. At least I don't think he was. He wasn't he wasn't there on a on a family vacation. wasn't there on a trip. wasn't there sunning himself. He was there to see what was going on at the border. Uh, his name is Todd Benson, senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, welcome to the show. Um, where were you along the border, and what did you see? Uh, no, actually, I'm on the Texas side, but I'm really close to Mexico, and it can get tricky over here with the competing internet or cell phone towers. So you went you went there obviously to see for yourself what is going on along the Texas border. What did you find there? I found a lot of migrants on the Mexican side who are uh, pooling up, coming to these towns o over there with the intention of crossing over. They heard that the uh, that uh, the the crossing was was easy and that they could stay in, uh, that they would um, be able to bypass border patrol, and uh, those who who wanted to were family units uh, that they would be accepted here and and waved on through the turnstile. And so, uh, Del Rio sector is a very busy uh, sector. Uh, it's one of the le lesser known areas of the border that people are covering, that the media is covering. There's, in fact, I haven't met a single reporter here. Uh, but this is a uh, high volume area. Uh, 5,700 crossed in the last week, uh, right in this area, in this sector, Del Rio and Eagle Pass. Uh, and they're going to continue on coming. Obviously, they're being told they're being welcomed with open arms. Todd, who's telling them that? 
Well, they're getting they're getting that information from uh, Mexican or Spanish language media, which is reporting dutifully on uh, Biden policies, such as uh, proposing a bill for amnesty uh, and uh, ending deportation for a hundred days and uh, eliminating ICE's ability to uh, uh, detain and deport. And they also are hearing about uh, from their relatives and friends who are being released after they cross into the United States with bus tickets and all the rest uh, and heading into the interior. And all of those things together uh, are heard and they act on those because the doors open. They see that they believe that the doors open. It's not entirely open to all of them. But the chances are better now than they've been in years. And so why not uh, give it a shot is what they tell me. And then I'm getting that from the migrants. I'm not uh, just guessing or something. Uh, Todd, Todd Bensman is who we're talking to here on AM 950 KPRC Center for Immigration Studies. Um, Todd, I, I, I don't necessarily would expect that you would know a coyote when you see one. But have you seen drug cartel individuals, people there who are escorting these people across the border? What have you seen as it relates to that? Because we know that they're making something like $14 million a day doing this. Well, as we speak, I'm standing at the Rio Grande with my eyes on free migrants heading my way over the border, over the river right now. Uh, they are headed toward me. And uh, there is probably no coyote uh, with them because um, my understanding from talking to all the migrants on the Mexican side for the last two days is that they're, 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 the cartels are not that active here. Uh, and most of them are just guiding themselves over. Uh, no coyotes at all and uh, very uh, little interest by the smugglers in this sector. Now, there are other sectors where you can't go across by yourself without risking having your your throat cut uh, because because the cartels very tightly control those areas and they're much higher volume uh, than this one. But the three that I saw, uh, you know, just uh, we're overstanding in the in the river. I can't tell that they have a leader. Uh, they're just kind of wading across. And the spot where I am is a very well known landing point for the migrants. So they're just coming over here where I'm set up. Um, you know, the, the thing, the thing I, th I think we always wonder about, we always ask, we, 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 we suppose we know why these migrants make this crossing, why they're, why they're willing to, to take what, I guess there's not that much risk to take right now, but are willing to take a risk to come here to the United States. But I'm sure you've talked to some of these migrants. What do they tell you about why they're coming? Uh, to, to the last migrant, um, they they tell me that they are coming for economic opportunity, uh, that they're impoverished, um, and they they uh, want a better life in the United States. This is a, a place of opportunity, their land of opportunity, that they see it. Uh, almost all of them will eventually apply for political asylum, but that is a lie. There is no political asylum for economic migrants. That's not what the law was intended for, but they will still be allowed to use it under this administration in order to get their paper long enough to get in. And after that, they don't care if they win, lose, or draw. They're in. And that's the end game for these guys. Uh, so, you know, that's what they tell me. Have you talked to any of them about the, the, those who are sending unaccompanied minors in the United States to get their, their kids across? 
Um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of you know parents listening to us right now who can kind of relate to the idea that they could be coming from a position uh, or, or something so bad that they would be willing to send their kids across and just hope that they get to a relative on the other side um, and, and trust that it's somehow they will. Right. Well, uh, keep in mind, though, that um, a lot of the uh, so-called children, and I'll put that in quotation marks, uh, uh, technically and legally, they, they would be children at age 17 and 16. But um, they're also 16 and 17 years old. Uh, is an age where, uh, you know, you can kind of get along, uh, and make it, make it your own way without, uh, some, you know, super close parental supervision. These aren't like toddlers, uh, you know, walking over on their own. So a great many of these so-called children are not really children. And, uh, a lot of times they don't even have identification. So, you know, they say I'm 17, but they look 22. And I've had border patrol guys tell me, you're not, you're not 17. Yeah, I'm 17. And then there's just nothing to do except to wave them through into the children area. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of that sort of thing going on right now. There's no way to prove it. Nobody has time to go, you know, send for the, the proper records and the fingerprints and all that kind of stuff to verify. Uh, but um, for the smaller ones, uh, what happens uh, there is that they're they're coming in with an uncle or an aunt or maybe a good family friend or something like that. But legally, the United States can't accept that type of a, of a supervisor for children. They have to be a legal guardian or a, or a parent, and you have to be able to prove that with birth certificate and identification and that sort of thing. So they separate them, and they say, look, I don't know who you are. Maybe you're the uncle, uh, maybe you're the aunt, whatever, but uh, you're not the legal guardian, and you're not the parent, so we're separating you and uh so there's a lot of that sort of thing happening too you know there's been a lot of argument todd bensman here over the last week or so about whether this is a chaos or it isn't a chaos this administration says it's not a chaos what do you think it is well that's just absurd uh i'm sorry that's that's just a complete lie and fabrication that's all that is uh it's demonstrable uh look at the numbers the apprehension numbers are uh, moving sky high and sharper, sharpward, uh, sharply upward at all, all the time. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, like I said, 5,700 crossing just this sector in the last five days. Uh, I saw a, uh, in Eagle Pass yesterday, I visited a brand new migrant processing center that was just massive. It was city blocks long, this thing. Uh, they wouldn't let me anywhere near it, and there were like three buildings that uh, were part of this at least. A uh, very huge, significant processing center. Uh, those things don't get built in a big hurry. That's under construction still uh, when things are just normal. Wow. How Do you have a sense for how much worse you think it's going to get as, as we move into the warmer months? Well, I really hope I'm wrong about this, but I see this uh, heading uh, mainly because of the denialism involved and uh, the rejection of facts and the blackout on the media, uh, that they look like they're settling in the administration for a long period of uh, denialism, and they'll probably have media 
organizations accept their word for things and not come down here to see it for themselves. But I've been interviewing, you know, hanging out with DPS, Texas Department of Public Safety and Border Patrol agents uh, and and, uh, migrant shelter people uh, over here on this side. And there's not one of them who would say that there is anything normal about this. This is an extreme emergency. And you can ask any one of them. The Texas DPS is here in force from all over the state. They brought a talk to a guy from Amarillo or Midland today who drove down from the panhandle on duty for his week of duty. Uh, they're not spending that kind of money and going through that kind of trouble because nothing's happening. Okay, so it's just absurd on its face, uh, right. that, that, that narrative. It's just absurd. Todd Benzman, thank you for taking time out of your busy day. Thanks for making the effort to, to, to call us this afternoon. Appreciate it, sir. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again. All right. Thank you. With the Center for Immigration Studies, Senior Fellow Todd Benzman joining us here on AM 950 KPRC. Quick little break. Back with our final segment in just a moment. All right, 451 now, AM 950 KPRC. All right, so we were talking to Todd Benzman. Wow, that was uh, that's pretty compelling stuff. You know, you and I, we're not at the border. We can't see what's going on. We, uh, we, we hear reports on Fox. We hear other, many people, if, if you're not listening to this or you're listening to KTRH or you're watching Fox, you might not even know what's going on at the border. Well, you're not going to get it from the mainstream media. And just to make sure you don't get it from the mainstream media, the mainstream media is not there for the most part. Certainly, certainly, they're not anywhere where the picture is going to look. Every, every report I've seen of television media on border stories, they've got them set up somewhere where, you know, just, you see a bunch of desert. So it looks like there's nothing going on. You don't see them at detention facilities. They don't, the, gov- the U.S. government does not want you, this administration does not want you to see how crowded things are, especially with so-called children. No, they don't want you to see what a mess it is because then they'd have to admit that it is chaos and they don't want to have to do that. And they're going to make sure, by the way, that a lot of folks never find out about this. Independent, here's another journalist, independent journalist Glenn Greenwald on the glaring hypocrisy of not allowing journalists to go and check out these border facilities. The two most vocal media complaints during the Trump years were, number one, the refusal to provide transparency. The Washington Post flamboyantly adopted a new motto to reflect its purported concerns, democracy dies in darkness. And then second, the treatment of migrants at the border. That was probably the principal argument for claiming that Trump was essentially a new Hitler. And now you have these two problems converging where the Biden administration is refusing to allow media access, where a Getty photographer said, I never had any problem under the Obama administration or the Trump administration. And now suddenly with Biden administration, we can't get any access to seeing what they're doing to people at the border, the thing we were all supposed to be so deeply concerned about. And they're not allowing us to know who's meeting with people in the White House virtually, which is how people mostly are meeting with people in the White House because of the pandemic. So they put this huge black curtain around what they're doing. And very few people in the media seem particularly concerned about it. Why would you put a black curtain to hide things, right? Ted Cruz, by the way, is going to be going to the border Friday. John Cornyn is going with him. He, too, is upset with the Biden administration's decision 
to blow off the media from all of our border facilities. On Friday, I'm taking 17 senators down to the border to meet with Border Patrol, to see the detention facilities, to visit with law enforcement, to hear the concerns down on the border in Texas. I've spent a lot of time down there. And astonishingly, the Biden administration is refusing to allow any media to accompany us. Uh, we had requests. Fox News wanted to come with us. ABC News wanted to come with us, yes. in bed with us. And, and the Biden administration's argument, it's really quite absurd, is that apparently the media, you guys are too much of a risk of COVID. That's their stated justification. Never mind that they are packing thousands upon thousands of illegal immigrants in packed facilities. It is reporters and cameramen that pose the COVID, uh, COVID threat. And, and Harris, that's obviously absurd. I can tell you, I've taken border trips. I've been to those facilities many times in the Obama administration, too. in the Trump administration, and they've always let media in. It is only the Biden administration oh. that is engaged in this blackout. It's, and that's a good way to put it. It, 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 is a, it is an information blackout as much as they can make it a blackout. We're trying to shed as much light on it as we can. And then there's this for consideration. And I really didn't think anything about this yesterday, about kind of an edict coming out from the White House saying that um, from now on you are to refer to this as the Biden-Harris administration. Not the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration. Huh. So what does this Fox guest think this is all about? Take a listen. We had it a little bit, a glimpse during the transition that there were cognitive issues with Joe Biden, but such as it is now, about half the country, Tucker, poll, that they don't have confidence in uh, Joe Biden's cognitive abilities, that, which begs the question, who is running the country? And is it Jill Biden playing the role of Edith Wilson in 1919 when Woodrow Wilson for the last, basically the last 19 months of his administration was stroke-ridden and inert? Is she the conduit that funnels out information? Is it, as you said, is it Kamala Harris and her team? They have this psychological tick of referring to herself as President Harris or the Harris-Biden, and that is shared by you know Joe Biden himself. Or is it senior statesman uh, Barack Obama who can't resist any current event to weigh in and who has stalked this administration with a lot of his former employees? I don't have that answer, but it's getting a little scary. Yeah, the Biden-Harris administration. Well, and here's something else. Uh, the president is not going to the border. Uh, the president has put Kamala Harris in charge of the border. So he's basically delegating his presidential authority as it relates to the border to her. Now, some of that may be that he doesn't want to have to take the heat on this. Or more likely... It's part of the, the, the so-called grooming process where we give Kamala Harris more and more of the presidential duties so when it comes time to anoint her president and to pull Joe aside, nobody will think anything of it because she will have been the acting president for so long. And think about this for a second, too. All of this happening in basically the first 100 days. This administration just took over in January. Look that, at all that has happened in the first 100 days. Good Lord, what's going to happen in the next 100 days? 
And by the way, if and when this all happens, we won't really be surprised, will we? We've been expecting it all along. And it's playing out right before our very eyes. Just like the election, playing out before our very eyes, and there ain't a thing we can do about it. Have yourself a great evening. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 5 with Sheriff Fryer on News Radio 740 KTRH, back here at 3 on AM 950 KPRC.